Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's June 22nd, 1934, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. I don't smoke much and I drink very little. I guess my only bad habit is robbing banks. The words of the infamous 1930s gangster John Dillinger, though he might want to add to that list carjacking, jailbreaking, brawling and murdering, bad habits that on this day earned him a new title the FBI dreamt up in his honour, Public Enemy Number 1. Yeah, thanks for that, Arian. 22nd of June is actually the date of my parents' wedding anniversary. (laughs) It's now forever going to be besmirched in my head with high criminality and gangsterism and Depression-era armed bank robbery. (laughs) Well, it was also the day that he was born, so it was a particular kind of present for both your parents on their (laughs) wedding anniversary and John Dillinger on his birthday. (laughs) The term public enemy number one hadn't been invented by the FBI, though. It was first used in 1930 in reference to Al Capone by the Chicago Crime Commission, which was this civilian anti-crime watchdog, and they were trying to raise awareness and indignation about the fact that gangsters were operating in and around the city with impunity. But this was the first time it was being used by an organisation which actually had power, the FBI, although it wasn't called that yet, it wouldn't be called Mm. that till the next year. At this stage it was called the Division of Investigation and it was headed by an ambitious young man called J. Edgar Hoover. And unusually Mm. for the FBI, the phrase seems to have its origins in the Roman thing, doesn't it? Enemy of the people. I mean, Mm. I I guess we're so used to public enemy number one as a phrase now that it feels really American, Mm. but they had a classical allusion behind it. And when you think about the words public enemy, this concept was a huge part of this propaganda push from the authorities, particularly from the FBI, because at this stage in the Depression, America still had this fascination with gangsters. You know, they were seen as thumbing their noses at the authorities in the tradition of the rebels of the American Revolution and the Wild West outlaws. And so there had to be this counter push. So there was this idea of the public enemy, like reminding the people that these gangsters are not to be venerated or emulated. They are actually a danger to society. And also, I suppose, because you're in the middle of the Great Depression and there was this real sort of sense of grievance against banks in particular, anyone who was taking from banks couldn't help but spark some of this positive sentiment, especially if they had a sort of halo earned or otherwise of being something like a Robin Hood character. And certainly in the case of Dillinger, uh, newspapers across the Midwest tended to print these letters from his admirers that did have this kind of praiseful uh, tone to them. They said that he was a, a man who robbed those who became rich by robbing the poor, and another one said isn't half as cheap as a crooked banker or crooked politician. Well, he had a really strange career, actually. When I was looking through his biography, he, so he started out as this teenage tearaway, and his first robbery was carried out with a friend in 1924 when he was 21, and he was caught and tried, found guilty, and imprisoned for 10 years. Yes. So his mm. notoriety really only occurred during this one year period of 1933-1934 so what had happened that was while he was incarcerated at Indiana State Prison he'd formed connections with these seasoned criminals who would go on to be his famous Dillinger gang yeah his story is a damning indictment of the possibility of prison to rehabilitate <laughs> isn't it 
Like he went there for being the accomplice in a robbery and then came out as America's most wanted man from what he learned through right. his connections he made there. Yeah, but also that was partially because he himself got this especially harsh sentence, having confessed to the crime that he was accused of, whereas the guy who pled not guilty only got about two years. And so he was stewing in jail, mm. getting more and more angry with the world around him, and, as you say, kind of learning the skills to be the, the US's roughest, toughest criminal. <laughs> And pretty much straight away after he was released, he robbed two banks in quick succession. And he was actually apprehended after the second one. His gang, who was still in Indiana State Prison at that point, they escaped according to a prearranged plan. They infiltrated <laughs> the jail where Dillinger was being held, disguised as deputies, shot the sheriff dead and busted him out. And they actually pulled off two other jailbreaks like this in their year or so of notoriety. So you can see how it was exciting to follow in the press because it wasn't just bank robberies. It was these, literally, the, the police were picking him up and writing in the press being like, we've got Dillinger and he's definitely not getting out. And then he would suddenly escape again. The astonishing thing about that Lima jailbreak was that when the police frisked him, they found a plan for a prison break. But he said, oh, no, I don't have any understanding of that. And it was that exact plan that his uh, accomplices carried out actually in a different prison. And then they came and got him. So it's just this sort of litany of errors that led to him again being on the run. Yeah, I mean, the most embarrassing one and the one that really captured the public's imagination and the one that probably triggered this moment where they called him public enemy number one to kind of recalibrate everyone's distaste for his activity uh, was his breakout from Lake County Jail in Indiana, which they made the same mistake as with Alcatraz. They said, ah, you can't ever break out of here. This is unbreakable, this place. Um, So, of course, just putting the gauntlet down to say to anyone like him, God, give it a go then. And what he did is he fashioned himself a wooden gun in his cell Now, I read that and I thought, wow, can you believe in 1934 someone made a gun that fires bullets from wood? That's incredible. (laughs) No, it didn't even He must have had a 3D printer. It was just just a piece of wood. It's amazing that it's still referred to in the documentation as a wooden gun because there's a replica of it that's in the museum and you can see it. And it it just looks like a piece of wood. And he's even carved (laughs) Colt 38 into the side of it, like child's writing. It's absolutely (laughs) preposterous that this was used to overpower a police officer in a supposedly unbreakable prison. I mean, he really was (laughs) laughing at them. Well, the authorities actually tried to play that down and say that this didn't happen. He basically said, I'm holding a gun. Give me your guns. He then gets their guns and then, Mm. you know, he actually is armed and then he makes off from there. (laughs) But actually being heavily armed, I think, also contributed to this idea of the nickname Public Enemy Number One, because he actually, in his time with the Dillinger gang, plundered police arsenals, stealing, among other things, machine guns, rifles, revolvers, lots of ammunition and, and bulletproof vests. So by the time that they've got that, they're actually something like a militia, Mm. you know, you can see how they would have started to be fearful, if not to the everyday person who has a sort of romantic sense of them being, you know, lovable rogues, then certainly the authorities, you get why they want to come down hard on this. Yeah, Hoover developed kind of a fixation with catching gangsters, and specifically Dillinger, because at the time, you know, this division of investigation, as it was then known, was still relatively small, and he envisioned this fledgling task force developing into a powerful force against crime using cutting-edge technology, and he could see that capturing these high-profile, well-known gangsters was going to be a means to achieve those goals. So the Mm. previous year, his agents had already caught Machine Gun Kelly, 
not the rapper, the original Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> uh, and earlier in 1934, they'd been part of the task force that had helped corner Bonnie and Clyde. So it became this cat and mouse game. And as the net started to close in on Dillinger in Chicago, he took pretty desperate measures. He had plastic surgery and had his fingertips burnt off with acid, courtesy of a dodgy Ooh. doctor. Well, this mm. is the thing. The net was closing in, right? It was only uh, a month after this date that we're commemorating that he was shot dead in Chicago by the FBI, which makes me almost wonder whether... This uh, public enemy number one label wasn't just to focus the minds of the public, as we've been discussing, but was also laying the groundwork for a PR coup because mm. it was so embarrassing. <laughs> He'd escaped three times and defeated the police at every turn. If they knew that they were going to get him very soon, at least by calling him public enemy number one first, you sort of justify it a bit if he gets away with it once more because, well, he's public enemy number one. He's the baddest of the bad. But also then when you catch him, it's like, look, we got the number mm. one enemy. Look how brilliant the FBI are, rather than just highlighting how long it had taken and how many failed attempts there had been. The amazing thing is that after his death, there were all of these conspiracy theories basically centering on the idea that Dillinger had arranged this complex plan where a doppelganger turned up to the movie and he was the person who was killed by the FBI and not him. Right. Because he was so clever, not like he ever got caught before. I mean, to get right, <laughs> to, exactly. to break out of jail three times, you also have to have been caught three times. <laughs> but so popular is this theory that Dillinger's own nephew, Michael Thomas, worked alongside the History Channel only a few years ago with a view to going and digging up his grave to check that the corpse that was in there definitely was Dillinger. And they were going to do it, except for the fact that uh, the graveyard said we don't want you to do that and got the courts involved and the courts ended up siding with them to deny their request but even a relative of Dillinger believes the theory sufficiently that he wants to know who's buried down there well and still wants to fight for his honor as well there was another great nephew of Dillinger in 2009 that initiated a legal settlement with a museum that was displaying artifacts belonging to Dillinger as a sort of ruthless murderer and said, well, actually, um, you need to change the words killed to allegedly killed because <laughs> he was never convicted of murder in the death of a police officer, um, which was uh, something that occurred in Indiana during one of the shootouts in the 1930s. And so, you know, you basically can't say he's a bad guy, like still kind of claiming, oh, he, he was charismatic. He was funny. He cracked jokes whilst he was robbing the bank. You know, as if standing there with a human shield isn't quite a bad thing to do, whether or not they yeah. die. He was just shooting his machine gun in their general direction. Maybe <laughs> yeah. he was a really bad shot. <laughs> Tomorrow. The average person didn't write enough to justify the asking price, which was about $125. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.